Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Athletic. And welcome to the View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from the Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly. I'm joined, I'm delighted to say, um, by Charlie Eccleshare and Jack Pitt Brook from the same esteemed organ, the Athletic. Um, and it's official. Uh, Kane and Son Son have become the most effective strike partnership in Premier League history. Um, Garth Crooks doesn't think that's worth anything, but uh, I don't think that might be a very old-fashioned view. Leaving behind uh, Drogba and Lampard, Henri and Perez, Cole and York in their wake. And style at Ellen Road on Saturday. Um, Charlie, I know, has got some things to say about Harry Kane's performance. I, I have something to say about it as well. One or two of you may already have seen it. But uh, after the game, people were endlessly going, he is the complete footballer. He is the complete footballer. Well, he's not the complete footballer, is he? Complete footballer, my ass. Of course, he's the best forward at Tottenham. And of course, he's the best midfield player. And until the arrival of Romero, he was also the best defender. But those of us, those of us with, with minds like steel traps will remember um, that uh, European tie against Asteras Tripolis, where he went in goal and was frankly shit. Um, so he is not the complete footballer. Get that out of your minds. He's only the best forward and midfielder at the club. Um, best clearer of corners and hopeless goalkeeper. Um, you've got uh, you've got some moderable sane things to say about him. I think is that right, Charlie? <laughs> He's the complete outfielder. We, yeah, we, absolutely. Can we, can we say that? Good. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not not too much to add to the discourse that's already out there already. I mean, it was it was just another one of those uh, performances where he showcased his passing ability and his finishing ability, both of which are absolutely world class. And I, I, I mean, a pretty it capped off a pretty good week. Obviously, Burnley was. Uh, disappointing but coming off the back of those two goals at City and that performance I described as one of the best in Premier League history at at City then to I mean this was more of a kind of one of those strutting Kane performances where he he knows he's the best player on the pitch by an absolute distance and drops into those pockets of space pings passes all over the place Uh, that one and and yeah when Spurs get a right wing back who can really do what Conte wants this is going to be so effective that one where he drifts out to the left and pings one out with his right foot uh, to the right wing back into the space he did that he does that so well it's one of his best passes and yeah, when they have that kind of player, that's going to be some combination. But yeah, I mean, he he was obviously amazing, and and him and Son uh, combining to break that record, which you know has felt like it's gonna it, it was going to tumble eventually anyway. But they've done it. Um, yeah, they sped that up uh, over the last week or so. Interestingly, as well, that um, despite what I say, Garth Crooks uh, had to say about it, not worth a hill of beans. Quote: They are obviously aware of it because Son ran half the length oh, of the yeah. pitch to go straight to. Harry Kane. The other thing Jacko would say that I, I noticed, and we'll get on to the 
uh, the, the weediness of Leeds's performance in a second, because I think it's a light in which all this stuff um, has to be viewed. Um, but the other thing that sometimes I, I, I forget it too, and then you watch what he did several times. He's so strong. I mean, he, he's like a bullock, the fella. The number of times when he does that turn and the, the defender bounces off him. Incredible. Yeah, it, it was amazing. I think he's... I think he's currently playing better than I've seen him play before, really, Kane. Just I know that last year he was his goals and assists were really, really good. And he that was last season under Mourinho was maybe the first time we saw this kind of hybrid role. But I think he fit I think he's definitely fitter than he was last season. And also I think that, that word that Charlie used strutting is so right. Like there's just something about when you when you've got a player who knows that he is one of the very best in his position anywhere in the world, he just kind of they just kind of radiate this confidence. And Kane at the moment is radiating that confidence. He's really exuding that sense of I am in complete control of my game. And there's so much kind of confidence and charisma that comes with that. Uh, I mean, I think you can. I definitely we've definitely seen an upturn in Kane in the last month or so. Mm. I think. Uh, Brighton at home, brilliant. Leicester away, brilliant. Uh, City, obviously incredible. I feel like this was maybe the best of the lot. Just obviously Leeds are miles less good than City, and City's a much higher degree of difficulty. But just in terms of the control he had of the whole game, it was re- it's, and of course the brilliant finish that he scored. And I think that even as he's improving, the finishing is kind of the last thing to come back. But when you see him take a goal like that one the other day, you get a sense that even though he started the season so badly. He's now really playing as well as ever. Goals like that are always are always really underrated, I think, because I, I've said this before. I always think with goals that the way I judge them is how few other players could score them, and I think that's such a hard goal to score. Both the run he makes is brilliant. It tells it's a great pass from Hoybier, but that run tells him exactly where the ball needs to go. Ball's coming over your shoulder onto your weaker foot, volley, and the way he hits it completely surprises Melier. That's that's not an easy goal, and he makes it. You know the, the way he scores it, and the way he celebrates in that kind of low key way he does makes it look like quite a simple goal. But it's really not. Yeah. It's a really special finish. Um, I'm I'm definitely not one for the waving of red cards. I want to see eleven against eleven, um, particularly when I've paid a ton of money to see it. Um, was it? I can't remember. I was so angry. I can't remember which player the the tackle on him that got a yellow card. Mm. It was a, an obvious red in a game. If that had been a close game, the referee would have would have braved. Was it Furpo? I can't remember who did the tackle. That there were a few flying in. I mean, and the, the one that caught him about knee high. Yeah, but there was a sense that a, a red card was coming. Because I think the ref let quite a few go. Leeds were clearly furious, and they were just flying into quite a few late tackles. There was, I think, there were allowances made for the fact that you know they were up for it, the fans were up for it, and there was a lot of frustration. But yeah, I mean, it probably should have been a red. I mean, and I'm sure people will say, yeah, but Kane should have been sent off against Liverpool. But it's not really how football works. Oh no, it's not. It's just as I say, I, I I'm normally finding any excuse to keep players on the pitch. I just thought. Oh dear, man, that could—that really was a horrible tackle. Um, let's let's move on then, if if we may, to the other uh, feature of the performance. And again, I I really and we'll talk about what happened at Leeds and Bielsa uh, very very soon. Got to take into context that Leeds are about without their, arguably three of their four most important players, if you include Rafinha in that quartet, and were madly Bielsa. 
And I'm, I'm, there is no greater, yeah, there is, Pochettino, but there is no greater admirer other than Pochettino or Bielsa than me. But it was a mad performance by Leeds in many, many ways. And we've seen several of them. And, of course, the result has been the departure of the manager. Um, but, you know, Spurs have to play what's put in front of them. And they've often failed to play against teams who are playing badly. Let, let's, let's, uh, let's say that. And I think it was a brilliant day, uh, chaps, for uh, both uh, Matt Doherty um, and Ryan Sessegnon. We'll start with Doherty. And as again, as I said on Twitter, the, the, the reaction to the, when the team was announced, it was like the manager had picked Pete Doherty to play or Tommy Doherty to play at right wing back. I mean, I've seen him play a good game of football since he's joined Spurs. Admittedly, it was for the Republic of Ireland. Whatever the circumstances of the game, Jack, I thought I thought he was pretty good actually, and 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 got it, you know. Yeah, it was amazing. It was I kind of tweeted sort of half jokingly that it was like the good old days of uh, Danny Rose and Kyle Walker from oh. 2016. Oh. The way that both both wingbacks were just tearing forward, getting in behind. You know, one would cross, the other one would dart into the far post. You know, Spurs scored one goal that way; they could have scored another. Yeah, Sessegnon Doherty, might have won. Yeah, mm. yeah, Doherty running in behind. He was running behind. I never thought he was that that quick, but he kind of ran in behind maybe three times. There was one where he took a slightly heavy touch, and then the keeper came out. It was. I mean, we saw a little bit of this Leicester away, the three-two second half. Doherty came on; it was really, really good. And I did think he just offers a bit of extra. He's a bit more direct than Royale. He's got a bit more confidence. He, he kind of runs straight for goal. He's willing to take take things on a bit more. And I just think he kind of he kind of offers an, an extra threat that Emerson Royale doesn't offer. And he's got so much stick in his time. And Tottenham tried to send him back to Wolves last month, but he you know he is able to offer something that nobody else in his position can offer. So I was pleased for him, and also really pleased for Sessegnon yeah. because Sessegnon is. A guy who's clearly very talented, not a lot of confidence, I don't think. I think he's not really made an impression yet at Tottenham through not really his fault because he's had injuries and loan and, and alone and all the rest of it. But if if Conte can get can can start to get more out of him and can start to be, build that confidence and belief that Sessegnon needs in his own game, then you know the the sky's the limit really for him. Well, Sessegnon started four Premier League games in a row. Um, first time he's done that at Spurs, which feels quite significant because Reguilon has been on the bench for the last couple of games. Like, it does feel like Sessegnon has come in and earned, you know, earned the starting berth. Obviously, he had that, especially, you know, having had that really disappointing game against Wolves where he was hooked early through no real fault of his own, but that's still a pretty demoralising thing to happen. Was then very good at City and Conte singled him out for praise uh, last week. Burnley was tough for him, for everyone, but um, yeah, really good enterprising performance. And it, it does really feel, and I've spoken to quite a few people about this, like con if it doesn't work for him with Conte at Spurs, then it's going to be difficult for him, for it to work for him. Because most people see him as a wing back. That feels like the right position for him. Obviously, Conte is the man if you want to learn how to play as a wing back. Um, and clearly, Conte was really chuffed about it because, he, I mean, he was asked after the game, you know, what did you make of. The, the, the performance from the team especially the wing backs and he said it wasn't and he said you know for the first time I've seen my mark about the system um, to create with the wing back and the other wing back to score this is a mark of my system my formation it means the work is starting to work it wasn't one of those where he was asked is this showing that your system's working and he said yes he volunteered that and clearly that goal which felt very much like Conte ball in action one wing back to the other clearly that felt that way to him as well it wasn't just us watching and trying to create that narrative you know, kids who have been, players who have been 
taught through academies and then they get into club sides and then they get into the international sides in the case of Doherty. Um, it, it really must be very hard to retrain your mind to say that I have to be further forward than Kane and Son when this ball comes across. Um, you know, it, it, you, it's not what they've been in the last 15 years in the case of Matt Doherty been trained to do and you have I, I can see why it takes a little bit of time because I was still startled when but then Doherty did play as a wing back for absolutely Nuno Wolves, but, he, so. he, but even so even so um, if you think about the way he related to Adama Traore um, when the when he got his goal Doherty when the ball went in from Sesson I thought right, that's a dangerous ball you know you have that subliminal nanosecond think about it and I expected to see Kane side footing that thing into the net but the, the purple shirt that suddenly arrived to do it was the, you know, was Matt Doherty. And I thought, oh, okay. I do think it's, you know, when you're moving up the field, um, uh, gradually, I can see how, you know, you, you can make yourself go. If, if like that, it's on the break, you have to get further forward than the centre forwards. It, it, it was remarkable. And, uh, no, he, he is really good at doing that. I mean, I remember when they signed for Spurs and doing a piece on him and, and watching all his goals and assists and things like that. He was this weird goal poacher at Wolves in, yeah. in a very strange... Like, yes, he was playing as a right wing-back, but typically we think of right wing-backs doing what Sessignon was doing, i.e. getting forward and putting in crosses. He was playing as a kind of goal poacher, and that's what he did really well then. And Jack referred to the Leicester game. He did that then too. It was his run into the box that got the bounce of the ball for Bergvine to equalise. He had that other one where it dropped him and he put it wide with his left foot. Like He can do this. And actually, interestingly, I remember asking him last season how hard it was doing going the other way. He'd obviously played as a wing-back under Nuno, then joining Spurs and playing as a right-back. And he said it's really, really hard. And I, and the inference being that people don't quite realise how hard it is. And I actually did a piece a couple of weeks ago about kind of why this right wing-back position is troublesome for Conte and how hard it is. And was speaking to uh, Stephen Warnock, who he was more of a full-back, then had to try and be a wing-back. He said it's so difficult if, if you're the kind of Emerson Royale where as a fullback, you're, the attacking you do, it's not a bonus, but you're often making kind of overlapping runs yeah. outside of someone, getting the ball, delivering across kind of first time. As a wingback, you're getting the ball, almost as a winger, standing up a fullback. You've got to be bloody good to make something happen there. You've got to either be really quick or really skillful or both. And to be fair, that's not massively Doherty's game either. He's more effective as a wingback getting on the end of things than creating necessarily so it kind of feels like who's going to be the least bad solution for Conte in that position sure. he doesn't have a Traore he doesn't have a Victor Moses but you know in Royale he's got someone who probably struggles on that attacking side more Doherty doesn't do the conventional attacking things of a right wing back in a way but he does do the getting on the end of things getting in the box and creating havoc as we said before, he's he's an agent of chaos. Mm -hmm. he, he he will introduce a little anarchy into the situation in a way that Emerson Royale won't. And that's a um, you know obviously Conte's football is very scripted, but having someone who is willing to make those runs in those runs direct towards goal that maybe the opposition defence aren't prepared for, and frankly that Emerson Royale doesn't do is you know clearly immensely valuable for Tom. And 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 to, to add further to that chaos, I was thinking about it as as, as watching him. The, the chaotic run that he made and caused the goals that he got at Wolves is the one where he comes inside into the penalty area uh, and gets himself in. The, he's in the corner, uh, you know, if you're defending the left-hand side of your penalty area. Um, and that spot has suddenly been taken up by Kulusevsky, who wants to be in that same spot as well. 
Um, mm. And so sometimes I think it forced Matt to go wider, deeper towards the byline and was the reason why I think he got one or two of those positions that we hadn't seen him in previously. Now, it could just be coaching. Um, but it also, I think he has to... It could just be leads as well. It could I mean, just again, be leads, che- Checking yeah. the fact who they were playing. But, yeah. you know, still still encouraging. Yeah, I, I think they, they both... Um, they both deserve great credit, and I, I'm 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 going to ask you this question because, um, you know, Region has been a regular since he got there. No rhyming intended. Clearly, he has the the speed that, uh, that neither of the other two have. Cessnion has good engine, I think it's fair to say. So does Matt Doherty. But you think you think Region's going to have a spell on the bench now? Maybe I think Regulon's an amazing. What well, I think Regulon is so good at is he's an incredible outlet. He's so good at running really, really deep without the ball, you know, all the way to the opposition, you know, uh, beyond the opposition right back into the box so he can kind of play a cutback. And I think his ability to, yeah, to run beyond the ball to receive those passes is probably better than Sessegnon's. That said, I think Sessegnon is probably better with the ball at his feet at driving forward than Regulon is. Um, frankly, like, it's just good that Tottenham are not dependent on one player. Like, for so much the last few years, because of problems with Tottenham's squad, they've had this situation where, well, they've got one good first team, but if he gets injured, they're in trouble. And that's true in so many positions of the pitch. That's true for Kane, Son, Lloris, Dyer, Romero, etc. But if they can now be in a position where they're not dependent on Reguilon, who plays basically every game, if they're not dependent on him being fit, and they've got a really, really good alternative in Sessegnon, then that's obviously a really good thing. Yeah, I actually think for the moment that Sessegnon... I think Sessegnon will start against Everton yeah, in Tottenham's next league game. I agree. Uh, I, I suspect Regulon will play against Middlesbrough, um, but, you know, in a way that you often might play a, a, a second choice in that kind of game. But I think for the moment, he Regulon needs to win the shirt back from Sessegnon, which he may well do, but I think Sessegnon's done enough to, for the moment, be, um, you know, be, be the first choice. Yeah, let me let me just um, say something about how football is chaos, obviously, and people who make a living. I'm looking at the three of us um, uh, trying to predict it. Uh, we're all mugs, aren't we? But I'll put I'll put it more plainly. I'm a mug. Um, when the team was announced, um, I looked at this. Is of course you know a world away from the four four two of of the turn of the century. But Spurs' midfield four was Matt Doherty, Hoiberg, Harry Winks, and Ryan Sessegnon. And I remember thinking to myself, uh, this is before the scoreline was 4-0, that is probably the worst Spurs midfield since the turn of the century and um, Stefan Freund and Eivind Leonardson, etc., that vintage. And yet they come out 4-0 winners. There was, again, uh, A, I don't think Antonio Conte relies very much on midfield, and B, uh, I am a complete mug. Um, well, as David Remnick says, prediction is the lowest form of journalism. So don't beat yourself up too much about getting that wrong. I certainly get a lot of my predictions wrong. I, I knew he was going to say that weeks ago. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But <laughs> what was interesting to me about that, and I mean, and Charlie will have a better view on this, having been at Elland Road, is that, I mean, Winks is passed through to the first goal. It just goes to show that like, Winks is a, if Winks gets time on the ball to play his passes, he is the best at that, I think, that Tottenham have got. There's no, obviously, Hoiberg did a great pass through for the Kane mm. goal. But Winks can dictate the play if he gets the time on the ball to do it. So I thought, frankly, I mean, maybe this is just to do with how bad Leeds were, but Leeds Leeds's inability to put for all the for all that Leeds is meant to be about, you know, one v one pressure, Leeds' inability to put any pressure on Tottenham and to stop Tottenham from playing their game, particularly in the second half, where Tottenham took the piss a bit, I think was amazing. What do you reckon, Charlie? 
Yeah, that Winks pass was was really nice. And we've seen a lot of that since Conte came in from him and Hoybier. You think for Wink, Hoybier's got that pass for Kane's goal and also the one for the Bergwijn equaliser, a Leicester quite similar ones. Winks, you think back to his assist for Kane in that Leicester game, the assist that should have stood against Southampton. But I think the key thing is that it, it's not a coincidence. You know, that's what happens when you have when you coach attacking patterns in a really rigorous way you have those automatisms you know if you're Harry Winks when you pick the ball up there okay well my left wing back is going to make that run I can trust that Um, and I think that makes a massive difference but yeah I mean Winks he definitely has that ability and he's you know he's been one of the biggest beneficiaries you probably say and you know he, he said that himself that he was you know he was nowhere really under Nuno was barely playing was clearly second third fourth choice um whereas he's come in and he's playing so regularly and Conte bigged him up again after the game saying how much he can rely on him and we you know we Conte would rather have players who even if they don't have the ability of saying an Ndombele or even a Lo Celso but if they've got the right attitude and they're willing to listen learn be coachable that's going to go a really long way with him last thing on the actual that this part of the game um, we shouldn't forget as well that Spurs also conceded a number of chances. It could have yeah. been at various times. It could have been five-five, couldn't it? Well, uh, one, one in the second half, it could have been five-five. And uh, um, I always defend Hugo Lloris. Uh, that brainstorm of not kicking that ball out um, will live with me for a few weeks yet. Um, the game. He's had a couple of ro- a ropey weeks, hasn't he? Oh, no, not good. Yeah, very much not good. At the end of the game, of course, I, I think the writing was on the wall for Marcelo Bielsa. His post-match interviews um, gave, although it's so hard to tell when he's looking at his shoes and relying on somebody else to convey his feelings. Um, and he went, um, as I think most of us knew immediately after the game, that he was on his way out. In fact, Leeds um, have obviously been in touch. I don't know if it hasn't been announced yet that Jesse Marsh is now the manager because they clearly had had, had conversations mm. about it before. And I felt... There were, there are so many parallels um, between the, the departure. Um, this is why I was saying, talk about it on the Spurs podcast. Between the, this departure of Bielsa and the departure of Maurizio Pochettino from Spurs, a kind of feeling that you know the time is right. They probably have to go now. The way the team is performing, but I can guarantee you, and I know from having literally hundreds of transactions on social media about this over the past 24 hours. There's far more tears than cheers from Leeds fans with the departure of Bielsa, who was, of course, the mentor uh, to Pochettino as well. Very similar situations, absolutely beloved by the fans and for reasons way beyond what he's achieved on the pitch, Jack. Well, I saw a funny tweet from Ali Campbell90 saying, Hearing Leeds have sacked their charismatic genius, oddball Argentinian manager for the crime of briefly stopping overachieving. Sadly, there's no way to know if this will work out. <laughs> um, I don't think, like, it's really, yeah, it is really interesting that comparison between the sacking of Bielsa and the sacking of Pochettino. To be honest, I mean, look, I can't believe we're going to relitigate the sacking of Pochettino. We're not, actually. We're just com- we're comparing. I, yeah. I think, frankly, I think Spurs had to sack Pochettino when they did. I think that was probably the right decision at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, equally sacking Bielsa now. I mean, I, I, I don't know enough about Leeds to know whether it was the right or wrong call. I mean, they are looking really bad at the moment and looking like they could go down. That said, they've got a championship. You know, take Rafinha out and it's a championship squad. You know, it's more or less, it's, it's not very different from the players that he came up with two years ago. And even when he came up, he worked a miracle because they didn't have the best players in the championship, not even close. Um, now, whether or not that means, you know, what impact that has on the issue of whether or not he should be sacked, have they got a better chance of staying up with Jesse Marsh? 
I don't know. I mean, it's not for me to know, really. But it's uh, obviously he's done an incredible job. And, and the one thing that he also has in common with, with Pochettino is that it, through the force of his personality and through his conviction in his style of play, he has managed to reunite, or he managed to reunite disparate bits of the club that otherwise would have been set against one another. So that basically the, the playing squad, the fan base, the board, the manager... And it just goes to show that if you have a manager who has a clear way of playing and identity which he believes in, you can bring the whole the whole entity together behind that in a way that you know. It, frankly, most clubs most clubs that aren't lucky enough to have that. Most football clubs don't have everybody pulling in the same direction. You need a coherent vision for everything to to pull everything together. And some of that is just, some of that is just down to humanity, isn't it? We all know that you know. Um, Pochettino insisted that the, the superstars shook hands with the receptionist at the training ground every morning, and and I, I a lot of people say, "Oh God, that sounds so so weak." And I actually think it just demonstrated um, a, disp- a, a, a level of humanity that goes beyond football. And the thing with Bielsa, um, people were telling me yesterday about him making phone calls in English. Um, when he heard, you know, prominent lead supporters, people he got to hear about, that their mum was ill, he would ring their mother. Um, and, we, and we've seen endlessly the pictures of him um, with kids. And sometimes that picture, when he crosses the road to, to deal with that disabled child in a, in a wheelchair. Um, I think his, 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 uh, his effect was far beyond the football club. And in a one, in a one club city like Leeds, it, it's, it's, you know, the people are, are thirsting to have the community you know, connected to the football club. I think he's managed to do all of that as well. And as for Jesse Marsh, um, I can't say, because as you pointed out, predicting is for mugs, um, hmm. he, has n- he has never worked outside of the Red Bull um, empire. And you get an awful lot of things are in place when you get to the clubs inside. They, they, will have, you know, they have a repetition of, of their scouting systems. Um, you have all the support mechanisms you could ever need and that uh, energy drinks can afford you. Um, we'll see how it gets on at Leeds, but I just wanted to make that that, that point about the, the the sacking and how it did remind me of the the more tears, as I say, uh, the, than cheers, uh, Charlie. Yeah, well, I I tweeted that at half time mm. because uh, in the press box at Ellen Road, you're you're quite in amongst it, and so I was sort of listening to the conversations people were having, and it was very similar. It was it, it was real sadness at. I'm just so gutted it's come to this and it kind of has to end, you know, that sort of sentiment. And so I tweeted that it did remind me a lot of November 2019 and the way people felt about Pochettino. I mean, I I just think, I really hope with it, you know, he does get the credit he deserves because I think people do lose sight of the point Jack made earlier. It's a championship level squad that he... Now, if you think getting promoted was an achievement, Mm. finishing mid-table was a monumental achievement. Finishing mid-table the way he played, getting players of that ability to play the way he played is nothing short of miraculous. The job he did was unbelievable. And it really, really annoys me that in some quarters there's kind of a like, see, I told you, that's what happens with Bielsa. It it doesn't. It's like, he's lasted lasted almost four seasons. He's turned Calvin Phillips into an England regular. Nobody had heard of Calvin before before he went there. It's absolutely nuts what he has done. And he's done it. He's lasted a really long time. You know, almost four seasons is ages in 2022 for a manager. And so for anyone 
and, and and this thing of like oh but you know he he plays the way Darcy or catch you in the end it's like he got the mid table you know it, we, we think that you can only do that by being Sam Allardyce and you know the only way that you can bring a team up and survive and certainly excel is to be solid well organized he did it playing the way he did and he plays the way he does because that's to him the way to get the best results and at least he's shown that it can work and and, and this i felt really sad that it's ended because it's so rare you have these connect you know that, that this happens and the time to do it i think charlie's absolutely right it reminds me a little it reminds me it's like an even better version of the what we saw when pep guardiola came to city in 2016 because he's obviously got a lot less money but there's like an assumption in england and in english football that if somebody comes in with fancy foreign ideas the only way that they will be successful is if they dilute those ideas mm. whereas mm. in reality and we saw this with you know even like like i said this is even truer with the Bielsa getting leads up into the Premier League and into mid-table than it is of Guardiola winning the Premier League with 100 points with City, although the, the principle is more or less the same. And that's that it's the implementation of these, this kind of like ideological way of playing to its max, like in a maximal way that is the most successful. And that if he'd met Talk Sport halfway, he would have been less successful. You know, if he'd, if he, you know, no disrespect to Talk Sport, but I mean... If and yet, met, like, and yet of- I sense some... <laughs> <laughs> if he'd met like traditional English football like football values halfway, it wouldn't have worked so well. And it's only but it's only I think only really in England do we think that to implement something you have to dilute it. Like it's a really weird way of thinking about different approaches to playing football. We got this and you know, we we saw this with Klopp as well and with Wenger mm-hmm. and lots of other foreign managers. They come over here and we we tell them, Oh, all these fancy foreign ideas you're going to have to not, you know, you can't do them over here. And yet, in reality, it's it's the doing of the ideas in their pure, in their purest form that makes them so successful. Yeah, and it's 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 a leftover from when uh, English clubs were dominating European football, you know, two generations ago, um, where you know the, the the technical ability of the foreigners was often overcome by spirit and running and physical power. I mean the point the point that it seems completely lost um on the more stupid athletic uh, subscribers I'm defending talk sport there um is is that 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 running that work rate that spirit that physicality is now absolutely the bedrock of everything that's happened happens on the continent you can't ju- there's no game that goes on now with people just trying to twiddle the ball around and so that what and mm. we saw what happened with that English football became bankrupt because it had nothing else to offer in the face of either passing or very quick movement or even you know teams that could play a long pass rather than a long ball and hoofing it uh, English style it, it was to me the irony um, of Marcelo Bielsa uh, getting the sack um, in the same 24 hours as we saw the unveiling of Mark Hughes at Bradford City. With all due respect to both Mark and Bradford, um, that generation of thinking about the way you're going to play the game, um, it, it won't it won't go because, um, you know, Neil Warnock won't retire. And I, I speak as someone who knows with Neil, you know, he, he won't retire. So there's still some of it going on there. But just the idea that you can um, clench your fist and that's enough to, to you know, to, to drive a team forward. It's not anymore. No, and, and that's the thing. Like, someone like Sam Allardyce, I think, did a really good job at West Brom um, last season and shows that he can still be relevant in in Premier League management. But the big... I'm pleased in a way they've gone for Jesse Marsh in the sense that maybe it's a, you know more of a continuation. But what really annoyed me was when we were saying, like, what they need is just 
an Allardyce, a safe pair of hands who can come in and steer this group to safety. It's like as if they're talking about an underachieving group of players. Like, no, no, this is a championship level group of players who have been massively overachieving. It's not like we're talking about, you know, United who are underachieving and they just need a decent manager to get top four. Like, this isn't like a, you know, an easy firefighting situation. Like, I, I just, I really fear for Leeds in a way because they were so invested in Bielsa and so synonymous with his way of playing um, it will be really I don't know it's almost like some of those players that will feel like they've lost that they had this magic power that's now gone and it's kind of you know and hopefully those players like Calvin Phillips and, and Bamford and whoever else are improved sufficiently that that's now their level but <laughs> yeah I mean they they, they fitted per- they, they were trained perfectly and it will be very interesting to see what happens now with Leeds and I should say, it's not to say two things can be true at once. That it's really sad. He's got. I'm not saying it wasn't the right no, decision no. to sack him, but one, one interesting continuity from Pochettino getting sacked from Tottenham is that it raises this question of if you, when you have a manager this special who has a distinctive way of playing, which everybody rallies around, and then when you have to get rid of him, it's not really clear what is the best choice to do next. Like Tottenham obviously went in a very certain direction when they when they got in Mourinho, who was a much bigger figure within the game than Pochettino and argue, arguably a bigger figure than Tottenham itself, more fam- you know, more famous, more successful than any of the players, had a style of play that was very, very different from Pochettino. And I can kind of understand why Daniel Levy would do that at the time. So I don't know whether or not it makes sense to go for continuity or for change. Like Jesse Marsh, like you might say there's some continuity in the sense that there he's is. played a pressing game at Red Bull, but... Bielsa is Bielsa. Like, there's no one. I don't think there's anybody whose teams press quite like him who play the same kind of one v one system. So, I, I mean, like, I don't really have an answer to this at all. But it's it's kind of the same thing that Liverpool will have after Klopp or City will have after Guardiola. Admittedly, eat made easier by the fact of having money. But how exactly you fa- you fit you follow a manager like that? Do you go for continuity? Do you go for change? Do you go for their number two so you keep everything as mm. similar as possible? Do you go for a fresh pair of eyes? It's a, it's a question which I don't really think that like football has figured out a successful set of answers to. I, I also think it's re- and this point's been made to me in relation to Pochettino, and I think it is a good one. Is that the Spurs of May 2014 and November 2019 were almost unrecognisable. So. A like-for-like replacement would have been Eddie Howe, someone like that, you know, an upwardly mobile, seemingly innovative manager of a kind of mid-table Premier League club. But by twenty, by November 2019, Spurs were this Champions League final behemoth, mm-hmm. you know, that it would have seemed crazy to... I think fans would have been like, sorry, hold on, we just reached Champions League final and we're appointing Eddie Howe. Yeah. This is crazy. So, like, where they were had changed so much. I think that's what made that such a hard, you know... To, to I, I can see the logic then in getting someone like Mourinho who felt appropriate for you know we're now a Champions League regular club we need a Champions League manager Leeds is a slightly different situation I guess um, because Bielsa already felt like he was a, in a way you know he's a former you know he's a properly elite manager taking over a championship club so it's a slightly different dynamic but I think Jack's right it is that there is no when you look at succession planning. Oh, it's there's no there's no obvious there's no right answer or pattern really. It varies so much in and, each and case. And there's also the fact that football, um, despite all its pretense and trappings of being big business, they just pay no attention to succession planning at all. It's always a reflex. 
um, because you're always hoping for the best. You're almost not allowed because of people like Jack and Charlie. You're not allowed to do succession planning because the second you start thinking about um, the next manager, the current manager is automatically under pressure and the players stop playing for them. Mm. So it's an impossible situation. And, of course, Leeds fans um, will miss Bielsa. Um, I suspect he'll pop can, up. Can you come up with an example of good succession planning? As in a great manager leaving and then being replaced by a successor who worked out well. Didn't Liverpool do it before my time? But weren't they quite good? Yes, they did because they had the the so-called boot room. They had they almost had a committee already working on the on the thing, so they can go Shankly, Paisley, Evans, uh, right through to Kenny Dalglish. That yes, they they because the club was this is not fair on on particularly uh, Shankly and Paisley um, Paisley because of his um, complete uh, hatred of spotlight. Uh, completely stupidly underrated as as a football theorist and manager, but they did. They had that kind of little committee in the so called boot room, um, which allowed them to to do it. But it's it's that was the exception rather than the rule. Yeah, I mean, in modern times, it is really hard to think but of. Like Emery after Wenger's been bad. Moyes after Moyes Ferguson, Ferguson. Was terrible. Barcelona since Guardiola bad. Even mm. Bayern since Guardiola. Like I mean, Ancelotti yeah. was not a success. Um, I it's just you know the real success story. Dortmund after Klopp have Dortmund after Klopp have been bad. Yeah, Li- like we said, no idea what Liverpool will do after Klopp. No, don't really know what City will do after after Guardiola. But it's um, I can't think of many examples that make me think ah that that succession planning done mm. well at least in like the modern Super Club era. No, no, the 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 the, the successful. If you've got any, tweet them in, please. The yeah. successful club is Chelsea, isn't it? Who don't have succession plan? They don't have anyone long no, enough. No, they just they don't have a new manager. manager. They just go for a new manager every year yeah. and hope he, and hope the players take to him. Yeah. which is more or less what the Tottenham model is uh, now, but with less good players and and with more managers. If if, if the last week was anything to go by, and of course, as I say, Leeds fans will miss Bielsa. I myself well as well I first became obsessed with him when he was manager of Chile um, and produced a team that was at times threatening to win international trophies this is Chile ladies and gentlemen and when he realised he had no good centre backs he went into the South American Championship playing three at the back all of them repurposed midfield players none of them over five foot nine Um, and they went deep into the tournament again if it wasn't for their complete blind spot of knowing that you could not play against Brazil with Kaká leading their massive counter-attacking style, because it's always counter-attacking that's done Bielsa in. Um, but uh, he kept running into the Brazil team with Kaká in the midfield, who just um, kept slicing his team to pieces. Let's have a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about um, uh, Spurs' third highest... He's now third top goal scorer this season in the Premier League, uh, Dejan Kulisevsky. Yes, he is. <laughs> um, and we'll talk about the return of, uh, to professional football at least, of a truly favourite son of White Hart Lane or whatever we're pretending to call the stadium uh, this season. Um, and that is the return of Christian Eriksen, which almost, well, it did bring a tear to, to my uh, fat old face. Uh, you're listening to The Verd View from the Lane. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Yeah, welcome back uh, to The View from the Lane. Let me remind you of the voices you're hearing of that of myself, Danny Kelly, and also uh, Jack Pitbrook and Charlie Eccleshare. Um, the win at Leeds... Um, which led, as you were hearing there, 
to the sacking of Marcelo Bielsa. Also featured another decent performance, particularly in the first half, and a goal again for Dejan Kulishevsky. Um Off, I think it's fair to say, Charlie, to a pretty decent start after getting pelters in the first couple <laughs> of weeks he was here when he was coming on a sub and looking a bit bewildered by the pace of the Premier League. Yeah, I know. It is a kind of cautionary tale, isn't it? I mean, that said, he could flip back and then all the people... What will happen, this being Twitter, is that, you know, all the people who were abusing the start will be like, see, now I was right uh, uh, all along. Yeah, so no, I think he's he, he looks really good. And yeah, maybe a, a lesson to us to not judge people off the basis of a 20-minute <laughs> substitute appearance, but such as the... Uh, appetite for content that you need to have you need to have made your mind up about players this quickly um i'll be getting more of a uh, an idea of what he is now both individually what he is and what he is within the framework of this conte team because of course when anybody arrives who's a wide player the first thing we do is to a bit like um, coaches in american football we measure how fast they can run 40 meters um and that clearly isn't dejan's um strength is it no and this was something that i did say after not based on my own uh, knowledge of him but what I've been told was that he is better at rather you know he's not searing pace into gaps in behind and that was the problem against Brighton that was the game state so I think people were like he can't really run very fast but he is a lot better when he's got defenders in front of him and he can drop a shoulder uh, lose him with smart movement but he's I mean, I, I wrote a piece on him after the game. And what's interesting is that in the past four games for Spurs, he came on as a number 10 against Wolves, did pretty well, created some chances, almost scored himself. He was then playing nominally on the right wing against City, but spent most of it shuttling back. He then spent the last half hour as a right wing back at Burnley, from which he very nearly scored. And then here he was in a more conventional kind of right wide forward against Leeds, scored look really dangerous and and given Conte cleaned out a lot of attacking options from his squad in January and it, it is a pretty lean squad especially in those attacking areas having someone so versatile I think could be really really useful um, so yeah I think he at the moment you know he, he looks like a very smart shrewd so having someone in January can go straight into your first team that's that's pretty big and he's done really well given we were saying Mora based on the first half of the season would look like he'd be Difficult to dislodge. Bergvine obviously finished January with those heroics at the King Power. So I think fair play to him. And what's funny is that we've obviously spent a lot of this season saying, when will Conte give up on the 3-4-3 and play a 3-5-2? It's the only way he can get any creativity into this team. And obviously, because we could all tell that the balance with two with uh, four-man midfield and then Lucas on the right, the front three, wasn't really working, even though Lucas was playing well as an individual. Mm. Now... If you put Kulisevsky in that on the right hand side of that front three instead of Lucas, he obviously gives you a lot more a lot more in the build up, a lot more on the ball mm. than Lucas does before you get to the final third. And suddenly the three four three doesn't look as unbalanced as it did with Lucas in. So Kulisevsky's really he, he's kind of Kulisevsky. I mean, look, early days. Yeah. This is sort of, a sort of tape that's going to look ridiculous by May. <laughs> But that said, don't worry, we'll, um, we'll burn the tapes. Don't worry. Kulisevsky <laughs> looks like he might be able to do what I thought and Don Blay or Celso would do, which is balance the team, because the team hadn't looked balanced before. And now with Kulisevsky in that front three, I think it just kind of knits together a bit better than it did with Lukasin. So yeah, that, that's a big win for him. Even just having a left footer, as, as sort of facile as that sounds, does make a difference. Because there were games when Lamella 
it, it would be very fleeting because you know he couldn't play every game, but he would sometimes play there, and it did it did sort of help having him being able to drift in, uh, open up space for others, yeah. particularly and for a team I, that doesn't I, have a ten. Like Tottenham yeah, haven't exactly. had a ten since exactly. Ericsson left, and because Lascelso, for a combination of reasons that we've done in the past couldn't really make that spot his own. So having someone... like There's always... The, prop, the problem that we've always had with Tottenham for years is that Kane and Son are incredible, but actually getting the ball to Kane and Son or linking between Kane and Son and the rest of the team is... Bad, like They can't do it. They, they haven't been able to do it for a long time. But now, if you've got Kulisewski in that space, kind of cutting in from the right, it's all of a sudden that link does exist again. And yeah, he's not Ericsson, but nobody is. But he is he's obviously like a very smart, intelligent, flexible mm. player who is also capable of being effective and efficient in the final third. So um, yeah, I've kind of enjoyed watching him play so far. I mean, the mention of Giovanni Celso as well reminds me that... Uh, yeah, part of the problem, not a problem, it's a, it's a blessing to have Kane and Son in the team as he could never play as far forward as he wants. I note um, that uh, with Villarreal now, he's playing as part of a front two, albeit he's kind of he's, he's playing the Dybala position, which he was never allowed mm. to do um, at Spurs. The other thing about Kulusevski is that uh, he had, you talk about Birdvine and Lucas Moura, Conte is, I, I've got to be careful what I say here, nobody wants their team to be predictable, but he wants them to be um, mechanised he wants them to know what, what they're all doing at the same time um, and both Mora and Bergvine their final uh, their, their final bit of output their last touch is so unpredictable what they're going to do and sometimes with Lucas Mora in particular it's something brilliant um, but often it can just be a kind of air shot or a balloon pass somewhere um, I think I think Kulusevsky's and he's ne- the, 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 the word is in his, the start of his name, isn't it? His coolness with what he's going to do next with the ball. Once he's, once he's dropped his shoulder, he's never, as I say, he's never going to run past people. Um, but he, his pass seems to be a little bit more pre- reliable. That's not the word. I'm, that's the word. Not predictable. Reliable than that of, of the two people who he's competing with for those berths. So a decent start for him. As I say, um, he now finds himself, I suppose, his third top scorer um, in in the Premier League, a fact that um, reflects other problems in the squad um, as much as anything. <laughs> he's, he's joint with Davinson Sanchez. Yeah, that's he? right. He's absolutely he's joint top scorer, third goal top machine with with goal yeah. with, with goal machine Davinson Sanchez. Um, of course, yeah. and a couple of others. I think it should be said. I think Mora also has two. Look, stop, stop telling me that Spurs have got players who've only got two goals this season. <laughs> um, only Wolves can match this parsimony in front of their own, in front of the opposition's it's goals. Efficiency. Yeah. Well, I, I tweeted on the weekend before the Leeds game. I couldn't believe this. Spurs had a negative goal difference going into the end of Minus February one, with yeah. Kane and Son up front. They had a negative yeah. goal difference. But it's absolutely extraordinary. Well, you could argue that that, 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 that that's a brilliant uh, transition. Uh, of goals uh, scored or uh, goals uh, being uh, higher than your opponent into actual points, you could argue. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, there yeah. are teams who, who could have that kind of goal difference and you'd be, you'd be on the edge of the relegation area, you know. The, let's end then, if I may, with, uh, you know, in a weekend, again, where football was forced to confront um, the, its own unimportance in the, in the face of uh, global events, um, the return of a footballer who I genuinely, I'm no doctor, but, you know, when you see defibrillators being brought out to a pitch, when you see a 10-minute break in a in an important international match, when you see fellow professionals turning away, clutching their foreheads, um, the idea that Christian Eriksen um, would come back to play professional football within a year 
would come back not only to play professional football within a year, but also to do it at the prem in the Premier League would have seemed almost mocking at one stage, but certainly fanciful. What joy then to see this beautiful footballer, and he is a beautiful footballer, um, make his return, Jack. Oh yeah, yeah, this was amazing. I was so, I mean, who could have him? Who, nobody would dare to imagine. It was just so heartening to see those pictures, him running on the pitch, him kind of, him jogging around, just looking so distinctly him as well, yeah. the kind of, his sort of slightness and the shirt that's half a size too baggy for him as he trots around the pitch. Um, so yeah, I was obviously like immensely, on a pretty miserable weekend for <laughs> obvious reasons. Yeah. It was very pleasing to see, to see Ericsson out there like that. And Charlie, uh, as well as going out there, I mean, in a, in a Brentford side that is, uh, um, with, with all due respect to Leeds, struggling like virtually nobody else in the Premier League. I think they go on the longest run without a win, aren't they, of any of the mm. 20 teams. He did play two, what these days get called, vertical passes. Um, in my vintage, were just forward forward balls um, that you thought, aha, oh yeah, that's what he does, isn't it? Because he can, he, he's, a, he's a tremendous, you know, for all the... The fact that he could take free kicks and things. Hello, Harry. Um, he, he is a. There's another reason why Harry Kane is not the complete footballer. How long are we going to put up this charade of him taking the free kicks? Anyone got any idea? Is it just seniority now with him? Yeah, who it seems take that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, back in the day, I can remember Eric Dyer was a was a very decent blaster Dyer's of had a football. Yes. Yeah. yeah, but they've lost because they sold. You know, they sold Trippier in 2019. They sold Ericsson in 2020. Uh, they've obviously got rid of Lacelso now as well. Like I don't know. I, I would. I would honestly. I would back Kulusevski to hit a decent free kick, but I. I'll believe it when I see it. I think Kane. I think Kane has got a monopoly on Tottenham free kicks. Well, well. Um, one of the one of the the kicking problems has been solved. Son is no longer taking corners, which was also causing my eyes to roll back in my head. Son's corners can be quite good. I know. I know. Better than Ericsson's. They, they, yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the famous near post. Well, they're, uh, culture. I, don't I mean, the free kicks are difficult because you've got a wall. Um, corners. Let's be fair. The ball is still. Nobody is opposing you, um, and you're training at football. I suppose upwards of two hours a day. Um, I suspect it, uh, you two. My knees too dodgy these days, but well, you could take a decent corner, and it always. It's the it's the one thing, isn't it? Where I resent. It's the only moment where I resent football is the money they earn. Um, normally, you just say, well, look, they're producing these crowds, these television audiences. They are the workers. They deserve the money. Fantastic. That, that, I mean, that, it's not by accident. No, that is where oh, the majority the crap, of are goals they? are scored from. No, that's where the majority of goals are scored from, from corners, is at the near post. There's a very, very small area that if you get it right, you're, you have a good chance. That's why they do it. Obviously, if you don't, then you get people saying what are you doing you can't beat the first man they can beat the first man but you've got a far lower you've chance of scoring risk, from there you? you've got to exactly you've got to take so, the risk of, of hitting the first man so that you can you know mm -hmm. hit you, it just if above you get him, that right and, and you talk to a goalkeeper they will tell you that's where that's exactly where they don't want a corner they want yeah. you they come on float this well, over to my far post yeah. so that all day. you've got a risk to lose to win Yes, well, the, ne the next time... <laughs> Jack's motivational The podcast. next time Lucas Moura or Eric Dyer, and it's they that make that run to the near post, connects with one of these near post corners and it goes in, I will bow uh, to your great knowledge mm, and, I look forward and to enthusiasm it. for crap corner taking. Um, that's only, we only got round to this because, I, once again, I, I look at Harry preparing to take free kicks. Is it... 
he did score, but is it nearly 10 years ago? It was very early in his time at Spurs it, 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 when he got into the first team. We'll come back to it another time. The Villa deflected one. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that was, November 2014. Yeah, yeah the Potch saving <laughs> yeah. game. Um, that, that always came about because we were, to, were discussing the return of Christian Eriksen and um, whatever happens with him now, um, two things about it very quickly that uh, one it's just a brilliant thing in and of itself and secondly of course um, watching people like him and Daily Blind of course at Ajax who's had exactly the same uh, problem just a little example to all of you um, you know that uh, you know things can get medically difficult but in the modern world there's always a chance of you coming back of course it would help it would help if you were as fit as either of those two people which I'm afraid uh, takes us to the end of the podcast today. Um, Spurs got an FA Cup tie coming up very, very soon. And we'll be back on, uh, well, after the FA Cup tie uh, to talk about that in the meanwhile, um, to read all of the articles that Jack, Charlie, and so many others produce on Spurs and much else besides in The Athletic, you can subscribe today by simply visiting theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. And right now you can get, uh, get sign up for just £1 a month for six months. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. We'll be back on Thursday. Thank you all for listening. The Athletic.